Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. At a hearing in Washington, Republican lawmakers grill FBI Director Christopher Wray. They're concerned that the agency is being used as a political tool for the Biden administration. The U.S. will not waver. That's what President Biden vows in his final speech in Lithuania. His message about Ukraine, the world, and the future of NATO. Just before addressing NATO, President Biden assured Ukraine's president of ongoing support from the U.S. That's after the European leader criticized NATO just a day earlier. U.S. government agencies are hit by Chinese hackers. What kind of information were the hackers able to access? A potential massive violation of privacy rights. Millions of Americans' tax-related data shared with tech giants Meta and Google. How could this impact you? And we hear from a former Miss Columbia and her thoughts on the changing beauty pageant industry. Earlier today, the House Judiciary Committee questioned FBI Director Christopher Wray over concerns that the agency is fostering a political agenda under his watch. NTD's legal correspondent Arlene Richards has more details. In an effort to address a growing concern that the FBI is politicized, the House Judiciary Committee today grilled the current leader, Christopher Wray. Republican members of the committee believe the agency is weaponized against the American people and cited what they call illegal scrutiny of conservatives, while Democrat members viewed the hearing as an attempt by Republicans to further discredit the agency and hold it accountable for investigating a former president. My Republican colleagues seem to believe that a former president similarly cannot be indicted. Uh, that would effectively make a president above the law. Democrat members highlighted the FBI's dedication to following the law before it searched former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence. Over and over again, the FBI delayed and showed unprecedented uh, caution before investigating the ex-president, even when there was a potential threat uh, to national security. Ray also defended the work of the FBI. The work the men and women of the FBI do to protect the American people goes way beyond the one or two investigations that seem to capture all the headlines. But one Republican member said the FBI is being used as a political tool by the Biden administration. He pointed to language in a recent federal court ruling that blocked the administration and the FBI from directing social media companies to suppress free speech. The evidence shows the FBI threatened adverse consequences to social media companies that they did not comply with its censorship request. The House Oversight Committee has been investigating President Biden's family over allegations of illicit international business dealings. Last month, the committee threatened to hold Ray in contempt of Congress for withholding information that could potentially implicate Biden. Republican Representative Matt Gates asked, Are you protecting the Bidens? Ian Sams, White House spokesperson for oversight and investigations, said in a statement that House Republicans have decided that the only law enforcement they like is law enforcement that suits their own partisan political agenda. Other topics of discussion included whether the FBI can purchase Americans' location data without a warrant, whether the FBI was present at the Capitol during the January 6th breach, and why a field office opened an investigation of Catholic churches. Steph? 
Thanks, Arlene. Next, as the NATO summit wraps up, President Biden vows to bolster alliances in a major speech in Lithuania. NTD's Iris Tout brings us more from the scene. Speaking to a huge crowd here at Vilnius University in Lithuania, President Biden seeks to highlight the strength of the NATO alliance. NATO is stronger, more energized, and yes, more united than ever in its history. President Biden also emphasized America's role on the world stage. We did not hesitate to act. We rallied the world to support the brave people of Ukraine. And vowed to continue supporting Ukraine. We will not waver. We will not waver. The speech comes after the NATO summit wrapped up today in Vilnius. The alliance is gaining two new members, Finland and Sweden. It's also vowing to help Ukraine get closer to joining the alliance someday after the war. And President Biden, while emphasizing that today is an inflection point, also applauded Lithuania's history of breaking away from the Soviet Union. But the whole world saw that decades of oppression had done nothing to dim the flame of liberty in this country. And President Biden also stressed the need to together tackle challenges when it comes to climate change, AI, and tensions in the Indo-Pacific region. Next up, Biden will be in Finland before heading back to Washington on Thursday. Reporting from Vilnius, Lithuania, Iris Tau, NTD News. Also at the NATO summit, President Biden meeting with Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky today. Biden promised ongoing support for Ukraine. That's after Zelensky seemed frustrated with the NATO a day earlier. NTD's Arian Pazdar reports. But I promise you, the United States is doing everything we can to get you what you need as rapidly as we can get it to you. President Biden on Wednesday assuring Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky of ongoing support from the U.S. That's after Zelensky on Tuesday posted this tweet, saying it's unprecedented and absurd when a time frame is not set for Ukraine to become a NATO member. On Wednesday morning, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg responded to that. He announced a plan aimed at bringing Ukraine closer to the alliance. While on stage with Zelensky, Biden and G7 members, Stoltenberg said that Ukraine is now closer to NATO than ever before. Allies reaffirmed that Ukraine will become a member of the alliance. Just a day earlier, on Tuesday, the U.S. State Department had explained why Ukraine can't become a NATO member right now. As the president made clear, there is, a, there is a, an important reason why they are not becoming a member of NATO right now, because it would instantly, it would instantly the, the, the put the United that, States in, in a but, shooting but, war but, with but Russia. In Wednesday's one-on-one -on -one with Zelensky, Biden said he convinced other NATO members to continue guaranteeing Ukraine's security until the country becomes a NATO member. And I started to sell that idea to other heads of state. There was no, re there was no reluctance. There was no, 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 I don't want to, it was everybody just said, OK, and sign on. At the end of their talk, a reporter asked Zelensky about his Tuesday tweet in which he criticized NATO. President Zelensky, are you satisfied with what you got from NATO? You were so frustrated yesterday. Is this enough? Are you satisfined, sir? I think from today and the summit, we, we had great unity from our leaders and security guarantees that the success for this summit. I think so, but it's my opinion. Thank you. Biden's and NATO's comments seem like a strong change, of course, as just days ago, they said Ukraine wasn't ready to become a part of NATO. Arian Pastar, NTD News. 
And according to a report from several U.S. senators, some of America's largest tax preparation companies have been sharing the personal financial data of millions of taxpayers with Meta, Google, and other big tech firms. The report says these actions are potential violations of taxpayer privacy laws. NTD Business's Don Ma sat down with a cybersecurity expert who says the alleged data sharing could impact more than 100 million Americans. And joining me now is Scott Schober, cybersecurity expert at BVS Systems. So these tax prep firms sharing tax-related data, I mean, how big of a privacy violation is this? Oh, th this is huge. This is on, on a much larger scale and much larger proportion than your typical data breaches with big data that we hear about often, because this involves so much more personal information about those that filed the taxes. And I, I estimate between the three tax firms, it's probably well over 100 million individuals potentially that could be affected over the years if you look at their, their customer bases and size, uh, number of filings that they, they actually have done. It's tremendous. And what kind of information are we talking about here? Yeah, so it's the obvious, it's the names, it's phone numbers, it's email addresses. But more importantly to this particular case, it's the tax filing information. It's things like their, their filing status. Is it filed jointly or not? Uh, what's their adjusted gross income? Maybe the size of their tax uh, uh, refund, things like that. Information that it gets in the hands of a cyber criminal, that could potentially could be devastating and could be used against many people. Yeah, I mean, obviously this is very serious, but if you could paint us a picture of how this actually impacts American taxpayers. Yeah, sure. Well the, well, the average American taxpayer might use a service to save some money and they don't understand all the little loopholes and things within the taxes and, and it's done all the time and it's very convenient and, and helps them. However, what they're not hearing, they're not giving consent and they're not hearing what they're giving away. And what that is, is these tax companies are basically saying, we're taking your personal data and we are now selling it to third parties. We're selling it to giant tech companies Google and Meta in this particular case were two that were identified. They in turn have third parties that they have agreements with and they share and sell this information that's collected, this metadata and actual data about individuals. And that's what's so concerning because it's going through multiple hands. Money is being made off of, in a sense, the Americans' backs because our personal information is being sold. And this is going to be an ongoing thing and, and I would estimate it's going to probably be billions of dollars if they are found guilty in fines and arbitration and notifying customers and trying to clean up the mess will be devastating. So you mentioned money is being made here. So I guess you're saying yeah. that this is actually on purpose. It's not an accident. Oh, well, yeah. This is part of their business model. This is how they get a return in a sense on our investment by having these relationships with companies. And it's not unique to this industry, I should point out. This is done often. If you think about it, something as simple as our smartphone, uh, when we download an app, we opt in, we agree when we say, I agree to the terms and conditions that nobody reads. And the, in those terms and conditions, it says, this company has the right to collect data and sell data about you and your contacts that you have in your contacts and what web searches you did and so on and so forth. So we're part of the problem. We're not reading what we're agreeing to. The legalities of these big tech companies, they make it in small print that nobody understands unless you're a lawyer and you don't have time to read it. 
I mean, there's there are a few parties here. We have Google, Meta, and and the three tax prep firms. Who's to blame here? Who who gets the majority of, of the fault? Well, I think unfortunately you have to kind of go back to the big tech companies because big tech is behind a lot of this. What they're doing is is they're condoning the use of what's called tracking pixels, which is basically software code that's used on websites. So if you're on a website and you're completing your tax form in this particular case, it's picking up all these different pixels or the different things that we type in. It parses, it combines it, and then it can take that and use that as data and it could be in reports or whatever else and then sold to the to the highest bidder and in a sense that's what they're kind of doing so they're kind of condoning it the tax companies unfortunately i guess are making money on it and they're kind of turning their head to the big tech companies that are paying them money for it so they're both guilty Who, who's more culpable than the other i don't know but i think when you look at a goliath like a big tech company that knows what they're doing and knows what the potential damage of this and they know very well they're well versed in the, in the privacy laws of data protection better than the tax companies. And, and therefore, the onus, in a sense, should be on them to do what's right for the consumer, because that's the ultimate customer that's paying. And let me just end, end on this. Do you think it's possible to prevent this uh, from happening in the future? <sighs> yeah, yes and no. If the big tech companies were more transparent, it would make it a lot easier. If there was a little bit more government oversight and regulation, it would certainly help. It would keep them in their lanes and allow them to focus on their core business as opposed to their, I call it the side business of selling data, selling our data to third parties. And that's really what they're doing. And it is wrong. It should be corrected. And laws such as that are enacted in the EU are preventing this from happening. A lot more has to happen here on U.S. soil, though, to prevent this from happening further. All right. Thank you so much today, Scott. It was a pleasure hearing your insight. Yeah, great to join with you. Thank you. Stay safe, everyone. Coming up, U.S. government agencies are hit by Chinese hackers. What kind of information were the hackers able to access? And a House committee examines environmental, social, and governance investing. We hear from several experts on what's behind ESG's increasing influence in finance. These stories and more after the break. Chinese hackers have reportedly been spying on the U.S. government and other global organizations since at least May. This development raises many questions about the safety of our digital networks. NTD's Jason Perry brings us the update. A China-based hacking group has been secretly accessing the email accounts of various U.S. government agencies since May. In addition, the email accounts of about 25 global organizations were also hacked during that time. The news comes from the folks at Microsoft, whose cloud service was hacked. Microsoft didn't specify which organizations had been hacked, but the attack was focused on Western Europe. Microsoft also said the Chinese hacking group used a stolen sign-in key to access the email accounts. White House National Security Council spokesman Adam Hodge said the hack into Microsoft's cloud service only affected unclassified systems. If you mix AI in with uh, quantum computing, uh, you can break RSA encryption standards pretty quickly to get a passcode. 
I spoke with Rex Lee, cybersecurity advisor at MySmart Privacy, about the breach, and he explained a key vulnerability. Today, due to the fact that Google, Apple, and Microsoft are in the surveillance and data mining business, meaning that they're surveilling and data mining their <clears throat> end users for profit to collect information to sell to advertisers, they developed their operating systems today on an open API architecture and uh, that lends itself to surveillance and data mining applications uh, like um, uh, Facebook or TikTok. The problem with that uh, is that hackers are very sophisticated and they know how to exploit these uh, operating systems that are uh, developed on an open API architecture. So if the systems they hacked were not classified, what information could the Chinese Communist Party be trying to get? You know, if you look at some of the government agencies that they hit, um, uh, it could be valuable financial information that they're going after, and it could be just simple discussions about uh, new laws that impact new, uh, uh, that impact may impact the market. It could be to benefit another Chinese company uh, in order for them to gain uh, uh, an advantage within an industry that they're looking to compete in. And he added this. You have to look at China's total um, strategy here. They're, they're, uh, they're fighting, they're, they're utilizing unrestricted hybrid warfare as the foundation of their war against the West. And what that means is warfare without rules where everybody's a target. Investigators are still working to fully understand the complete scope of this hacking incident. Jason Perry, NTD News. Are U.S. companies complicit in communist China's human rights abuses? Decades ago, Washington established trade ties with the communist nation, hoping that democracy would arrive at its shores through free trade. But lawmakers are now flagging concerns. NTD's Sam Wang brings us more from Capitol Hill. The Congressional Executive Commission on China is looking into U.S. businesses' complicity in China's human rights abuse. How can the biggest dictatorship in the world, China, can control a 100% American-made company and fire a U.S. citizen? The man speaking is Annis Cantor Freedom, a former NBA player blacklisted for his activism against China's persecution of Tibetans and Uyghurs. He said that he was criticized by the League for wearing shoes with messages condemning Beijing's human rights abuse. Freedom told NTD that there's profits involved in the NBA's tie with China. And when you talk about China, it is hitting their pocket because when I talk about it, the China canceled every Boston Celtics game on uh, television and that cost NBA so much money. Representative Chris Smith, chairman of the panel, said that the NBA will be invited to testify in front of Congress. I spoke with Smith after the hearing, and he told me that the Basketball League isn't the only corporation complicit in China's malpractice. Google, Microsoft, Yahoo, and Cisco have been part of the problem for decades. The worst of the worst seems to be far too many of our big corporations who kowtow to Xi Jinping on a daily basis. They do not enforce or respect worker rights at all. Lawmakers are also questioning Nike and Adidas for allegedly importing products made by forced labor in China. Similarly, U.S. telecom giant Cisco recently came under fire for helping the CCP to monitor Falun Gong practitioners who are undergoing brutal persecution in China for their spiritual practice. The case was first brought up back in 2011, but an appeals court just last week ruled that the lawsuit may proceed. In the face of an ever more assertive China, lawmakers are demanding more auditing transparency while urging U.S. corporations to prioritize human rights over profits. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Sam Wong, NTD News. 
Turning now to the economy, annual inflation in the U.S. has slowed to its lowest level since March 2021. This is according to data released today from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The U.S. annual inflation rate slowed to 3 percent in June, down from 4 percent in May. This came in below the consensus estimate of 3.1 percent. Annualized inflation has now fallen for 12 consecutive months. The notable easing of inflation has been driven by the significant baseline effect from last year when the spike in energy and food prices resulted in a 9 percent rate. On a month-over-month basis, the Consumer Price Index edged up 0.2 percent, up from 0.1. The role of environmental, social and governance investing is gaining influence in the financial world. The number of ESG-related shareholder proposals has skyrocketed. The House held a hearing on this issue today. NTD's Faye Corder brings us more. The role of ESG, which considers environmental, social and governance factors in investment decisions, has grown in the financial world. The House Financial Services Committee held a hearing on Wednesday to discuss its increasing influence. This increase has been driven primarily by activists pushing environmental and social objectives. These proposals accounted for 62 percent of all proposal filings so far this year. And the number of environmental and social proposals has soared by 52 percent since 2021. Ted Allen is the vice president of the Society for Corporate Governance, a group of professionals from throughout the corporate world. Allen says some companies are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to address these proposals. Many of them, he says, are not linked to long-term shareholder value. Some companies have faced competing demands on climate risk or diversity policies, while others must cope with proposals on abortion or other controversial topics. The growing influence of ESG doesn't come from the majority of American investors. These investors can range from normal individuals saving for retirement to giant organizations. Instead, a very small number of actors exert enormous influence over almost all of our largest businesses. These actors are neither democratically elected representatives nor investing geniuses. James Copland is a director at the Manhattan Institute. He says private advisory firms ISS and Glass-Lewis, which advise big organizations on how to invest, and asset managers BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard play an extraordinarily large role in corporate governance. Some say that the goals they prioritize reflect a leftist ideology. On the government side, the SEC is proposing that companies must disclose climate-related data to investors, such as greenhouse gas emissions. Democrats say many investors want this information. How would you have a right to invest on this basis or that basis if you didn't get the information that you wanted? There might be some peculiar investor who cares how many buildings are painted purple, and we don't have time to tell them. But the reason for this hearing is not because investors won't vote for these resolutions. It's because they will. Republicans say Democrats are imposing their beliefs on companies, in turn hurting the companies and investors. There would be first uh, significant costs imposed on public companies. Another concern, and I think you alluded to this earlier, is the impact on, comp- on private companies, small businesses, minority-owned businesses within companies' supply chains. Yeah, under the yeah we can't. I mean, I hear from businesses all the time. They can't comply with the conflict mineral rule now. The committee has introduced a raft of proposals to tackle these issues. 
These include numerous bills that let companies ignore shareholder proposals if they involve ESG, if they're very similar to previous proposals, and if they're related to social issues. Bay Quarter, NTD News. Coming up, Beijing is hitting back at NATO after the alliance posted a statement following a two-day meeting. The Chinese regime also flew more than 30 fighter jets near Taiwan. What's the world's biggest military alliance's attitude toward China? And several Chinese Communist Party outposts identified as operating on U.S. soil. Republican senators are calling on the federal government to investigate. Stay tuned for more here on NTD News. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of our top stories today. FBI Director Christopher Wray testified before Congress over a range of issues. Lawmakers on the House Judiciary Committee questioned the agency's handling of whistleblowers as well as online censorship. It's the last day of the annual NATO summit. President Biden met with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and promised ongoing support for the country. Federal officials say Chinese hackers had access to U.S. government emails since May. They exploited a loophole in Microsoft's cloud email service, mostly targeting Western Europe. A congressional probe finds that tax prep companies have, for years, shared Americans' financial data with tech companies, including Meta and Google. This is a potential violation of federal law. As we reported on earlier in the show, Ukraine's potential accession to NATO was a point of contention during the summit in Lithuania this week. President Zelensky has expressed frustration over the lack of a timeline from the alliance. Here's a look at the steps Ukraine has taken in an effort to gain membership. What would happen if Ukraine joined NATO? After Russia invaded last year, Ukraine stepped up its efforts to join NATO. We shall be free, strong, and of course, in NATO. Ukraine argues that the security assurances given by Moscow, Washington and London when it relinquished its nuclear arsenal to Russia in 1994 were clearly worthless. While Eastern European countries say some sort of a roadmap should be offered to Kiev, the U.S. and Germany are wary of any move that might take the alliance closer to war with Russia. Russian President Putin has cited NATO's expansion towards Russia's borders over the past two decades as a key reason for its decision to invade Ukraine. NATO, of course, is being drawn into the war in Ukraine. So what steps need to be taken? Any expansion of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization must be agreed by all 31 members. In 2008, NATO leaders agreed that Ukraine, a former Soviet state, could eventually join the alliance. But they did not give Kiev a so-called membership action plan, or MAP. This was U.S. President George Bush in 2008. I strongly believe Ukraine and Georgia should be given MAP and uh, there's no trade-offs, period. Under the MAP process, candidates have to prove they meet political, economic and military criteria and are able to contribute militarily to NATO operations. 
Since 1999, most countries, including former communist ones, aiming to join NATO have participated in a map, although this procedure is not mandatory. Finland and Sweden, formerly neutral states which worked closely with NATO, were invited to join the alliance directly. It's unclear what Ukraine's path to membership will look like as more and more countries, including Britain and Germany, suggest skipping the map process. That is an active discussion among allies right now whether Ukraine has in fact moved beyond the need for map. Ukraine's military has taken major steps towards NATO standards since Russia's all-out invasion. The process is accelerating as its Soviet-built arms and ammunition gradually run out and the West trains Ukrainian troops according to NATO standards and sends more and more advanced weaponry. They are now very experienced in the, in the utilization of NATO standard equipment, NATO doctrine and NATO uh, tactics. So ho however long it might otherwise have taken Ukraine to join NATO, their actions will inevitably have shortened that timescale. So why is Ukrainian membership so sensitive? A mutual assistance clause lies at the heart of the NATO alliance. It's cited as one of the main reasons why Ukraine cannot join NATO while in conflict with Russia, as this might immediately draw the alliance into an act of war. The Kremlin portrays the expansion as evidence of Western hostility to Russia. Western powers deny this, saying the alliance is wholly defensive in nature. Moscow has said it would cause problems for many years to come if Ukraine joined NATO and has warned of an unspecified response to ensure its security. And Beijing is hitting back at NATO after the alliance posted a statement after a two-day meeting. The Chinese regime also sent over 30 fighter jets near Taiwan. What's the world's biggest military alliance's attitude toward China? NTD's Don Ma brings us the highlights. Two world powers are back to butting heads. Beijing is lashing out at the world's most powerful military alliance, NATO. That's after the alliance came out with a statement saying Beijing's ambitions challenge NATO's interests and values. Despite that message, the organization noted it remains open to engaging with the Chinese regime. The U.S. is NATO's largest military power and leads the alliance. Given that status, Washington has stationed materials and tens of thousands of troops across Europe. That's to support the defense of Western Europe. Reacting to the news, Beijing accused NATO of expanding to the east. It also deployed over 30 fighter jets near Taiwan, its biggest incursion into the airspace surrounding the island in the last three months. Given the back and forth, what's NATO's stance on China? Here's what we're seeing so far. Member states are divided on how to approach the issue. French President Emmanuel Macron has spoken against NATO increasing its focus on China, suggesting NATO should focus on the North Atlantic, another member nation. Hungary said cooperation with China represents opportunities rather than risks. Over in Asia, major regional powers have been seeking more contact with NATO. That's in the face of an ever more aggressive Beijing. Four countries, Japan, South Korea, Australia and New Zealand, attended the NATO summit in Lithuania on Wednesday. While Japan is in talks over setting up a NATO liaison office in Tokyo, which would become the organization's first in Asia. 
Tokyo and Seoul also signed deals with NATO spanning areas such as cyber and technology. At the same time, NATO also made it clear that Taiwan is not part of its responsibility. Here's a line that its chief has repeated, both in speeches and writing. China is not our adversary, and we should continue to engage. But Beijing's increasing assertiveness affects our security. He also touched on Beijing's nuclear ambitions. China's nuclear modernization is unprecedented in speed and scale and being carried out with no transparency. Beyond that, the organization has drawn attention to Beijing's increasing global footprint, harmful cyber operations, and how it's remained opaque about its military buildup. Speaking of China, several GOP senators are urging the Justice Department and the FBI to look into newly identified Chinese Communist Party outposts operating on U.S. soil. I spoke with Casey Fleming, CEO of Black Ops Partners Corporation, about the CCP service centers. Casey, thanks so much for joining us again. Now, Republican senators are urging the feds to probe the CCP service centers that are operating in the U.S. You've been tracking the CCP's threats at multiple levels for years now. What's the scale of the risk associated with these centers? The scale would be extreme. They've been doing this for actually decades as far as these, uh, these overseas Chinese service centers. They're, they're nothing more than espionage centers playing upon our free world and our free society that we could never host inside of communist China. So uh, the level is extreme. And do you think that the FBI has done enough so far to prevent the CCP from targeting Chinese Americans who are living here? Well, it's, first of all, the answer is no. The FBI has not done enough. Um, and uh, they, these centers should not be allowed. First of all, they are for espionage. They're for technology transfer, taking uh, U.S. technology, stolen intellectual property, and sending it to China. It's also to pressure uh, Chinese dissidents that the Chinese Communist Party feel that these are uh, second-wave Chinese citizens that are not in China. They just happen to be in the U.S. or, uh, or these same centers are in the U.K., Australia, uh, and Canada, that, uh, that they must come to arms or come to the support of the mother country. So it's really to put uh, control onto this, uh, the Chinese population that's outside of China. Now, Republicans want decisive action on these service centers. What, in your estimation, would be the right course of action here? Uh, any information, any intelligence that we have that a center like these, that a center like this or centers like these are operating should be immediately shut down. And the people in those centers should all be uh, identified and tracked uh, to be agents of, of, of the Chinese Communist Party. All right, Casey Fleming, CEO of Black Ops Partners Corporation, always appreciate your time and your insights. Thank you. Thank you. Earlier this week, we reported on the revival of a human rights lawsuit from 12 years ago that allegedly connects U.S. tech company Cisco to the Chinese Communist Party. But there's one trailblazer who was looking into this as early as 2002. We heard from Ann Lau, who became a shareholder of Cisco and fought for human rights 21 years ago. I'm so glad that uh, this Ninth Circuit Court appeal has allowed this suit to go forward. 
That was longtime human rights activist Anne Lau's response to the Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals' recent decision to revive a nearly decade-old case. The case she's referring to is the 2011 lawsuit against Cisco alleging the company of helping the Chinese Communist Party's, or CCP's, violent persecution of Falun Gong. Lau says she's been calling attention to Western corporations assisting CCP's human rights violations since 2002, when she submitted a resolution. Back in year 2000, China started to pick people up uh, when they went on the internet to talk. And it seems that it was really quickly that when they get into the internet cafe, they type up something, and they when, when they get out, it's picked up by the government almost immediately. Through her internet business, Lau learned about Cisco's alleged involvement in supplying the CCP internet equipment used to monitor its hundreds of millions of netizens. To bring this to the company and public's attention, she bought shares of Cisco and waited a year before she could qualify to submit resolutions to the SEC as a shareholder. Her resolution requests Cisco to prepare an annual stockholder report describing its products provided to any government entity that could allow online monitoring or recording. Fast forward 21 years, Lau is now very pleased to know there is more public awareness. I'm hoping that this will establish a precedent that corporations is responsible if they are in any way proven to have in some small way in persecuting people around the world. Falun Gong is a faith group that's been heavily persecuted in China since 1999. Now, in the 2011 lawsuit against Cisco, the plaintiffs claimed the CCP used a surveillance platform known as Golden Shield to monitor and detain Falun Gong adherents. Cisco, they said, had designed, crafted, and given critical assistance to implement and fine-tune the Golden Shield project at a time when the regime was incapable of developing one on its own. Cisco's then-vice president acknowledged that, quote, the Cisco internal presentation included a Chinese government official statement regarding the combat of hostile elements, including religious organizations. For one corporation, Western corporation, to justify their action generally, but say, well, I'm just, you know, following the laws of the land that I'm doing business in, this argument is no longer valid. NTD reached out to Cisco for comment, but didn't hear back by press deadline. Coming up, a trans person wins Miss Netherlands. We hear from a former Miss Columbia about the changing nature of the beauty competition industry. And in tennis news, the semifinals are now set, but can anyone stop heavy favorite Novak Djokovic? We'll hear, have that and more when we return. Over in the Netherlands, the country's beauty pageant has just crowned a winner, and for the first time, it's going to a transgender person. Though it's not the first in the history of beauty pageants, this change does seem to be trending more in recent years. 
So earlier today, I spoke with a former pageant winner, Miss Mundo Colombia, Catalina Stube, for her take. Catalina is now the director of Hispanic Outreach at Moms for Liberty. Catalina, thanks so much for joining us. The winner of Miss Netherlands this year identifies as transgender, and that's been making headlines. As a former Miss Columbia winner, what's your reaction to this? So actually, this is a humiliation for not only the contestants, but for all the women who prepare. And all these contestants, let me tell you, they prepare physically, emotionally. They prepare just to get into this crown. And when a, a guy wins this crown, this is not what we are expecting. And so why is it important to protect the idea of femininity and traditional values? Many critics have argued that these concepts are obsolete today. That's a very good question because this is the importance that we should defend right now. They are targeting femininity right now. They are targeting that the men's are not um, uh, accomplish what it should be for a for a man that is protecting the family, protecting uh, the, the the woman. And even if a woman can protect themselves, we are not saying that you are not able to do that. However, it's beautiful when each one it's is only doing the role. We have and we have to embrace our difference and we have to accept our difference. It's not that you are not able to do something that the boys can do or the but you have bring to this earth to create life, to educate your children and prepare for this is very special. It's, it's hard to be a good uh, woman. It's hard to be a good girl and, and a good mother. So you have to prepare for this femininity and to perpetuate human race. This is our goal. Hmm. Fascinating. Thank you so much. Now, Next, I want to look at the winner of the Netherlands uh, competition, Ricky Valerie Cully, who has spoken about wanting to be a role model for younger trans people and being an open book about the transitioning process. What do you think of that message directed toward the youth? But it's, it's very explicit, the message. They are promoting transgenderism. They are promoting LGBTQ values. They are not promoting uh, woman values. They are not supporting or respecting the values and the goal of a woman in this society. This, this society should embrace what a woman is. And we bring life, we bring education to our family, and it should be that way. It will, should be celebrate the femininity of the woman. It not, it, it's not beautiful when, when, a, when a man, instead of doing their duty, it's taking place of the woman. This is not only a humiliation, but it shouldn't happen in our society. And considering these latest developments, what message do you have for today's aspiring young women? Honestly, at that point, I don't, I don't think you should consider to sign up for a, for a pageant that is not respecting your nature. And uh, if I, I can say this also to my girls, and if, if they are willing to respect the nature of a woman, you can sign. If they are not willing to respect what is exactly a woman, they should not sign up and lose the, the, their time or their preparation or even their money. All right. Thank you so much, Catalina Stube. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much.
And now for your sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with an update from Wimbledon. That's right, Steph. The Wimbledon semifinals are set after Carlos Alcaraz and Daniel Medvedev won Wednesday, setting up a Friday showdown at the All England Club. The number one ranked Alcaraz topped six seeded Holger Rune in a battle of 20 year olds, while the third seeded Medvedev ended American Christopher Eubanks' run in a five set thriller. Now, the other semifinal will feature eight seeded Yannick Sinner against heavy favorite Novak Djokovic, who tied Roger Federer's record with his 46th major semifinal appearance. Djokovic can also tie Federer's record of five straight Wimbledon titles and eight overall, should he prevail Friday and win the title Sunday. And in NBA news, eight-time All-Star Kyrie Irving has signed an endorsement deal with Chinese shoe company Anta. The agreement is for a reported three years and will pay Irving approximately $126 million. Irving will also act as the company's chief creative officer as part of the arrangement. Now, the fact that Irving has signed an endorsement deal isn't shocking after Nike dropped him last fall after he tweeted a link to a film that was considered anti-Semitic. But him choosing Anta, which donated more than a billion dollars worth of shares to the Chinese Communist Party, which has an awful human rights record, is somewhat surprising given his previous comments on the issue. Irving, who previously refused the vaccine, despite having to sit out home games with the Brooklyn Nets because of it, called the enforced vaccine last fall, quote, one of the biggest violations of human rights in history. And in college football news, Northwestern assistant coaches will reportedly keep their jobs after the school fired head coach Pat Fitzgerald on Monday. The firing came after an investigation into hazing allegations into the program. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And finally, a digital bakery in Los Angeles is creating intricate candy treats using a first-of-its-kind 3D food printer. It uses sugar to craft elaborate designs. Let's see how these sweet creations are made. Sugar Lab co-founder Kyle Von Hasselen's journey into the world of culinary sugar creations began when he was a student at the Southern California Institute of Architecture. He bought a traditional 3D printer and began tinkering around with it and experimenting with ingredients. So every project here at Sugar Lab begins with an idea. So the client has this concept that they want to make into a reality. So we take that concept and send it to our 3D designer. The result, he said, is the only 3D food printer in the world certified by the food safety body, NSF. Von Hasselin says unlike other 3D candy printers, his machine is able to use fine-grained sugar instead of paste, which allows greater detail on the candies and greater control over the end product. Working with sugar as my medium, it really becomes the, it really comes down to the grain of the sugar. It, that becomes the pixel, that becomes the medium, that becomes the resolution. So uh, what we design in 3D, it, it translates into a textured, grainy uh, um, piece that is sculptural, but at the same time, it has a very haptic texture to it. Hasselin and his crew can shape the candies from cartoon characters to superheroes to wizards. On the savory side, the team also produces kimchi bouillon soup drops. I really feel like I'm getting to work on the future of food, future of desserts, just future tech that's going to be able to, one day these, these things are going to be in like everyone's kitchen. Not tomorrow, but you know, sooner than we think. 
The reaction to the work that we've done at Sugar Lab has been incredibly positive and we're so grateful about that. Until then, the sweet treats can be specially ordered or purchased on Sugar Lab's website, starting at around $25 for six one-inch printed strawberries filled with chocolate and ginger ganache. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.